A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. As the great unlock happens and everybody has another argument about masks, we thought we'd focus on the positive and ask what good has the pandemic ever done for us? I'm going to be joined by Ben Spencer, Sunday Times science editor, to talk through some of the unexpected upsides of the past 18 months. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, it's our columnist panel. It's Monday, so it must be Libby Rachie. It's Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester. So, we know there's bad stuff going on, but sometimes it's nice to focus on the positive, which is what we're going to do uh, this morning. And our big thing at 11, we're going to look at some of the positive things, particularly around science and medicine, uh, which have uh, emerged over the past 18 months with Ben Spencer, the uh, science editor of the Sunday Times. So, I'm asking for your positives uh, from the last year. Jonathan emails in, as I was back home during the pandemic, I thought I'd try and teach an old dog new tricks and teach my 69-year-old mum to play saxophone. She's doing grade one now, thanks, COVID. Jonathan, send us a video. We want to see your mum playing the saxophone. Uh, I'd also like to see a video of your mum, uh, uh, her reaction to you describing her as an old dog. Um, uh, best of luck with that. Uh, Someone on the text says, I discovered a lot of places I can go to can actually be reached more quickly on foot than on the bus. Also, we have lots of green spaces around us. Who knew? Uh, Fenton says, I've written a cookery book after cooking a gourmet meal seven days a week. Becky says, one positive of the last year is that parents' evenings are now on Zoom. No more leaving work early. Teenage daughter sighing over what I'm wearing. No more hanging around the sports hall, sighing while the parents in front ask just one more thing. Now, parents' evening is done in just in 40 minutes. Even better, last week we were due to have a, a virtual parents' evening and we got a note from the teacher saying, uh, if you want to cancel, that's fine because he's very busy. So we did. <laughs> so we didn't even have to uh, log on to Zoom. Uh, and Morvan says, good to finally meet neighbours and scotch my preconceptions about them. That, that axe-wielding loner is a witty, friendly jazz musician. That alcoholic floozy has a neurological condition, but also a keen fashion sense. And why not? Uh, we were in bubbles long before COVID and now not so much. Uh, there we are. Kit, there's coming in. 87212, starting message of the word times. Tweet me at Times Radio. You can email studio at times.radio, particularly if you want to send videos of family members... Uh, playing the saxophone. Good excuse just to play that song. Right, uh, it's that time of the morning. We always speak to two of our favourite columnists, and it's Monday, so it must be Libby Rachie. Good morning, Libby Purvis. Morning. And good morning, Rachel Sylvester. 
Hi, Matt. So, have you all been out? Have you both been out clubbing overnight? Are you? Of course, what? <laughs> of course. Can't you imagine it? Have you? Do you know what? I could actually uh, <laughs> all too easily. I think at times. Times columnists' uh, n- trip to a nightclub. Club is, night. Club night is yeah. definitely in order. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, was, I, I want to discuss, there's some really interesting polling in the Times today from YouGov. 31% of people will be happy to go to a party in the next three weeks, uh, the next few weeks, compared with 53% who said they wouldn't. 34% would go to the theatre, 48% wouldn't. 20% of people aged 18 to 24 so they'd be happy to go to a nightclub, but 53% wouldn't. And I just wondered where you were uh, both on this. Are you rushing out to take advantage of your newfound freedoms, Libby? I have been to the Ironmonger without wearing a mask. <gasps> it was massively exciting. Uh, yes. But, you know, listen, I have. this is really not new. For weeks and weeks, it's been absolutely clear in the polling that half the country is horrified at the idea of unlocking. And it seems to me that what the government is doing is quite clever. They know that the people who are being careful and obeying will go on doing so and that those who don't care and didn't do anything anyway will go on as they were and go off super spreading and per government approved Wembley, Wimbledon, Silverstone. Um, But uh, by removing the legal bars, when it all goes belly up come September or October, they can blame us. They can sort of say, we gave you freedom and you abused it. Um, so I think it's a political move in a way. You know, they, they know perfectly well that there will be immense amount of care still taken. A lot of people are still very, very nervous. And that nervousness will make them careful and circumspect. So uh, I'm not at all surprised by this polling. I suppose the, the, the thing is that, that, that we all do now know... Uh, well, I'm sure there might be some people who haven't quite cottoned on about this uh, pandemic business, but we do now know the basics. You know, if you're in a small enclosed space with not much ventilation, that's less good than being outside. So if you are indoors and, you, mm. you know, you put your mask on and all that, people sort of uh, know all of that. Just on your point about um, uh, the government trying to shift the blame, asked uh, if the relaxation of coronavirus rules leads to a large increase in uh, cases and hospitalizations, who, if anyone, would be mainly responsible? 42% say the government... 42% say uh, individuals who would be the public slot. So it's completely split down the middle, Rachel. That's really fascinating. And I think Boris Johnson would see that as a good poll rating, actually, if he's only got, you know, if it's equally divided between people blaming him and people blaming themselves, effectively. That's quite good for the government. Um, but there is, it's almost like being in hibernation, isn't it? People have been locked up and they're emerging, blinking into the sunlight. And it is a bit nerve-wracking. So I went to the butcher this morning and I wore my mask rather pathetically, unlike Libby at the Ironmonger. And you just not, I think there's going to be a lot more ambiguity. And also there's a sort of sense of etiquette about what's polite to other people mm, rather than yeah. just what's safe. Um, so I sort of felt it was polite to wear it still. Um, even though obviously legally you weren't obliged to. Uh, But I think more than that, there's a sort of sense of, I think people are going to feel, and I do actually, you feel nervous of crowds. I I feel nervous if I'm on a crowded tube. The idea of going to a sort of nightclub would always fill me with horror, but even more so the (laughs) idea of being in a crowded place um, of any sort is really nerve-wracking. I saw those pictures at Wembley and I felt sort of, frightened by that um the proximity so that is sort of strange um change and we're in this kind of hibernation mode still and i think it's going to take a while to get back to normal uh, libby you've been back at various points when when they've been able to you've been to theaters when there's been social distancing Absolutely. and so on um what about the idea of going into a theater where every seat was taken is that something you're looking forward to 
I, it absolutely is something I'm looking forward to because without it, the theatres uh, will collapse. I wouldn't mind going on wearing a mask if it makes everybody else feel comfortable. Uh, that's fine. I can sit through any length of theatre in, in a mask. But no, I'm absolutely looking forward to being in theatres again. Theatres are very well run. They're very well well organised. I mean, there was a very funny thing the other day on, online. Somebody sort of said, you know, why are pubs able to open, you know, and not theatres? You know, is it the case that sometimes in a theatre or concert hall, someone just listens to one note too many and is sick on the floor, you know, or gets into a fight? You know, of course, this never <laughs> happens. You know, the, po the point is, theatres are quite sort of regimented and people are looking and facing forward and the ventilation is good. So I think that uh, I, I, I have no... Uh, sort of fear at all of it. I wouldn't go to Wembley because I wouldn't go to Wembley, but I would go in any other kind of crowd that I was interested in being in. I probably wouldn't hang around sort of shouting in people's faces in the foyer, but actually I never do. I always sneak down to my seat early and read the programme. So, no, I, I don't have the slightest problem with theatres. I suppose that's the point, isn't it? Is it actually, the, we know that the real risk is people uh, socialising in each other's houses, um, uh, getting up close and personal, you know, away from organised events. You know, if you've been going into restaurants and uh, bars or whatever, you know, the, the 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 space in which I know some of that will change. But you know, there are you're you're sort of very much aware of the the COVID um, uh, restrictions and organisation around you in a way that you're just not if you go into somebody's house. Definitely. And there's a sense that also I think we've got more used to being outside and understanding. But Libby's column this morning about the importance of ventilation, you have this sense of the sort of fresh air being a good thing in a way we didn't before. I think that's great. And Libby's right. You know, open the windows. That's a good thing. And ditch the hand sanitizer is the other big message from your um, your column, uh, Libby. My, f <laughs> well, it's not. It's not. That, it's just there's been this huge emphasis on on hand sanitizing and surfaces and so on, and there's been far too little talk about ventilation. And it struck me that you know, my gosh, you know, houses are so sealed up, and people are so obsessed with not having heat loss, you know, and and uh, em emissions, you know, uh, uh, not enough heat heat being lost out of public buildings and so on. And I think ventilation is was pretty bad on in a lot of places and so I went into all I spent a whole weekend on all these learned papers and research papers and government surveys and it turned out yes I'm bang right everybody who thinks about these things has been worried about this for years you know 10 years ago this EU paper saying that actually this business of sealing buildings up is not necessarily going to be conducive to public health and so I thought I'd, I'd haul out some of this stuff and maybe direct other people towards it it matters yeah, no, it's really interesting. And actually, um, I've been sort of collecting uh, examples of things that you, you know, that you couldn't touch because of COVID, even though, the, you know, the idea that you were all catching COVID off of uh, touching people. My favourite, I think, so far has been the flagpoles when we went to a pitch and putt. We were banned from touching the flagpoles. You know, we're outside. Uh, it's only us there. Uh, and we weren't allowed, on pain of death, we were not to touch the flagpoles because of COVID. Uh, and then the balls were sort of thrown into a, I don't know, a furnace or a bag, bu bucket of bleach or something afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you're t but nobody's really been having that conversation about uh, ventilation. Yeah, buses, at all. buses and trains yeah. no longer have opening windows. You know, a lot of houses don't. You may stay the night at a, at a budget Premier Inn or something. You may well find the windows simply don't open, and that the air is processed for you. Well, you don't know how good the filtration is. You don't know how often the filters are checked. Um, you, you know, it, these these things really matter. The air conditioning is okay as long as it's absolutely top quality and very expensively run and maintained. You know, but quite often it simply is not and windows don't open. Yeah, uh, I thought it was a really good point about the trains. The good old days of, you know, the 
pulling down the train door window and just getting some air in on a hot day. That made a massive difference. Um, Kate's just texted in saying, Florence Nightingale knew about fresh air. Nothing new here. That's literally the cut the headline almost on uh, on Libby's column. <laughs> um, just in terms of the politics of where we are, this feels like a, a, uh, a, a moment of peril. Uh, for the government, Rachel, just because, you know, there's, what, 50-odd percent of people say that this is the wrong thing to be doing to opening up now. Uh, there was a massive wobble yesterday over the Boris Johnson-Rishi Sunak uh, taking advantage of the, the pilot scheme that we meant they could get out of self-isolation. They suddenly sort of stepped back from that. But um, th- this could be a really difficult summer politically for the government, couldn't it? Definitely. I think the most toxic thing for them is that sense that it's one rule for them and another rule for the rest of us. So the Dominic Cummings trip to Barnard Castle, the reason that was such a disaster is because it gave the impression that the rich and powerful, or not, not rich necessarily, but the powerful and close to... Boris Johnson don't have to follow the rules in the way that everyone else does. And that was why they, it's unbelievable really that um, Downing Street and the Treasury thought it was a good idea for Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak to be miraculously chosen for this extraordinary exemption scheme. Um, And then it's no surprise they very quickly U-turned on it. But that's very dangerous. at the same time... Yeah, but but Rachel, I am staring at the moment at a graph which has the Tories still well above the other parties in polling. How, how is how yeah, is so this the, happening? In the latest YouGov you know, poll, the Tories, just... Tories are on forty-four percent, up yeah. two. Uh, Labour up one on thirty-one. Uh, Lib Dems on eight. So forty-four. So what's that? Thir- the Tories yeah. have got a thirteen-point lead. Yeah, I think and somebody is... I was talking to yesterday said said that the extraordinary thing is that he's more annoyed by Keir Starmer on television than he is by Boris, and he's shouting, "How is this happening? Mm. <laughs> How is this mm. happening? Why is Keir Starmer more annoying than Boris?" Well, they've still got the vaccine bounds for sure, haven't they? They're still, and and um, I think also people see the pandemic as something beyond the control of governments of any political persuasion. But where it will go wrong is if it looks like. They've rushed to open too quickly um, or when it's sort of one rule for them, one rule for the other, the rest of us. Um, but so far, you're absolutely right. It's not having any dire impact, um, which is pretty extraordinary. I think the the, um, uh, the, the thing to sort of remember sometimes is that the public voters, people who apply to polls are... Um, contradictory, complicated people. It is possible Mm. to think, I really want things to go back to normal. I hate all of this. And, you know, Boris Johnson is offering us, apparently, a route back to that, uh, while also being quite worried about what's going on and you're worried about your gran and all of that. And and we are all, you know, we basically want everyone else to abide by some rules so that the pandemic goes away while we can get back to enjoying ourselves in the way that we were. Just on the subject of Keir Starmer, in the latest YouGov poll, on the question of who would make the best Prime Minister... Uh, 37% say Boris Johnson, 27% say Keir Starmer, uh, behind not sure on 31%. Uh, so um, Keir Starmer currently trailing. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, he probably, he probably <laughs> hopes for a summer where he can turn that around a bit um, as well. Libby Post and Rachel Sylvester there, and of course you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, what did the pandemic ever do for us? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the Red Box podcast. Now, let's focus on the positive. All of this was uh, slightly born out of uh, a really fascinating piece uh, by uh, the Sunday Times science editor, Ben Spencer, a week or so ago about some of the big... Uh, I'll be honest, slightly complicated uh, science breakthroughs of the past 18 months, which will actually be uh, have a positive effect for, for probably years to come. And Ben uh, joins me now. Hi, Ben. Good morning. Now, you're going to have to hold my hand and walk me very... Which we can now do, of course, because that's not uh, illegal, at least in England. Um, and walk me through uh, some of these, these big breakthroughs uh, that um, you uh, focused on. Because I'll be honest, I whether it was liquid biopsies or the... Um, uh, what was the other one that really there was liquid biopsies? Oh, na- nano nano nanotech heroic. Talk me through some of these these big scientific breakthroughs and why they are a positive, not just in sort of terms of dealing with the pandemic, but why they might have a positive benefit for longer. Well, I won't be able to hold your hand quite yet because I'm marking Freedom Day by uh, spending the time in self isolation with my uh, with my two young sons and wife because I tested, well, I had a, got a bit of a cough last week and went to get my test result on Friday. Results still not come through. So I am marking Freedom Day in self-isolation. Very responsible. (laughs) Indeed. But this, I mean, is kind of, I mean, it's an absolute pain, but it's actually one of the big scientific successes of the pandemic that we now have this, absolutely immense diagnostics program i could w- go to a walkthrough on a friday um sw- have a have a swab send it off and hopefully in a few hours i'll get a result um you know this is a massive diagnostics program that w- just wasn't in place a year ago i don't know if you remember thinking back to last march and april matt hancock desperately trying to get up to 100,000 tests a day. We're now doing 1 million tests a day. Sunday's even more. It's absolutely incredible, the diagnostics 
rollout that has taken place over the last year, created an industry from scratch. Now, and is there a, is there a read across that in future we could have a similar scaled uh, testing program for other things which aren't COVID? I mean that that that's the hope. I mean, uh, much of our medicine at the moment is basically educated guesswork. I mean, for example, you don't have a test for flu. You just well, well the, these tests exist, but no one really has them. They only take place in really um, really serious cases. But most people, if you if you assumed you got flu, you spend a few days in bed, and people don't generally. I think they they just have a guess, right? But in the future, there's a hope that now that we've rolled out and created this diagnostics, this testing industry from scratch, we could start testing for things. We could have more of a personalised medicine. Um, similarly, for things like cancer, the tests are actually quite crude, and we've built this genomics um, infrastructure from scratch. A year ago, we basically didn't have any way of um, t- testing the DNA of COVID samples. We were only testing a few percent, a, f- a small proportion of tests that were coming through, see what the DNA was like. At the moment, we're testing about 70% of samples for the full DNA, the full genomic um, analysis of every COVID sample. Now, that means we can spot variants. And the idea is that with cancer, you'll start to use that infrastructure. And I think you've got Angela George coming on. Yeah, she's going to talk about one of the one of the big uh, uh, breakthroughs on on that front. Yeah, yeah. that's a... so, so the idea is soon you'll be able to really assess the DNA of every cancer patient and really develop a finely tuned, personalised. Um, treatment plan rather than your catch-all chemotherapy radiotherapy you'd actually be able to genetically identify and these are all things that have been in the works for years but we've shown over the last year that we can roll these out rapidly at scale and it's actually you know it's doable there's also we should also obviously talk about vaccines and the the i mean the number of times we've been told normally this would have taken years and years and you know there are other things whether it's um AIDS or you know other illnesses which yeah uh, they still have not yet developed a vaccine for but it turns out if it affects the entire world and everyone throws the the, the kitchen sink at it it could be done much much more quickly could we therefore see other uh, vaccines emerge for uh, other illnesses which up until now haven't been developed definitely definitely so there's two broad technologies which have emerged so far for the vaccine. One is the Oxford vaccine. That uses something called a viral vector. You take a, a, a chimpanzee virus, you insert a bit of DNA code for the COVID, and you inject it into someone. Now, that bit of DNA code could be for any other illness. And they've already started trials for using the same platform of the Oxford virus for malaria and also for HIV. Now, think about it. All these years, we've had no vaccines for HIV and for malaria. Now, the other type of um, vaccine, one that's used for the Pfizer vaccine, for the Moderna vaccine, is mRNA. Now, that's another bit of genetic code that's basically wrapped up into this little fatty bubble called a nanoparticle and injected. And likewise, you can change the code. So the 
team behind the mRNA, the team, the teams behind the mRNA vaccine are already testing it for flu, for pandemic flu, making a much, much better flu vaccine, and for things like HIV as well. And the idea is that eventually both these teams are working on vaccinating against cancer. Now, I must wow. emphasize, these, these, both these technologies have been in works for years. mRNA has been about two decades in the process. So it's largely a bit of very, very fortunate timing that when the pandemic struck, both these technologies were close to fruition. But if the pandemic hadn't come along when it had, it would have probably been a long, long time before we got to the point where we were able to be confident enough to start trialling them for other treatments, other conditions. But we've had the world's biggest rollout of any uh, medical um, intervention, really, in the vaccine trials and and the vaccine programmes globally. And we've now got this huge amount of data about the positives, the negatives, the side effects, what works, what doesn't work. So that's really going to accelerate vaccines of all kinds. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Ben Spencer, thanks so much for joining us, talking us through uh, all of those positives. Uh, ben Spencer, the Sunday Times uh, science editor. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from? <laughs>